Well, good morning. Nice to see uh, lots, of po- lots of people in person. So actually, this is the last week of the bad news. Mike's going to give us uh, <clears throat> the verdict. Well, actually, it'll be two weeks before the verdict. Next week, we'll talk about our wonderful Savior and we'll have a resurrection message. But this week, we're going to finish up uh, the, uh, the, the indictments against man. So I label this Paul's indictment against mankind. So I've been using this outline that, uh, for a while. So basically, oops, I'm too far. So basically, you know, we started off way back in chapter one with verse 18, talking about the condemnation of mankind. We talked about the the Gentile world, kind of two parts to that: the immoral man and the moral man. And then we moved into the Jewish. Uh, condemnation, and now we're talking about the whole world is condemned, but still kind of a focus on the Jew in this as well, and that, that will come out in the verdict here. So, um, and, and we covered uh, nine through twelve last week. So today I'm going to go back and review nine a little bit, and twelve through ten, or twelve, um, ten through twelve, and then go on to the rest of the the indictments. So here's the picture. This picture that um, Macaulay does it. I think Merriman does it and others. There's really a picture of a courtroom scene in these verses. You know, if you watch Perry Mason or the other trial people, I mean, I've forgotten all the different names. Anyway, they all have a courtroom scene. And so this is very much set that way. So the charge is in verse 9. All are under sin or all mankind are under sin. So that's the that's charge. And then Paul will bring indictments. He's going to bring basically 14 indictments. He's going to bring uh, six indictments about the scope of man's sin or the character of sin in, in mankind. He's going to talk about the depths of sin. He's going to have uh, seven in that. And then he's going to come down to the kind of the climax, if you will. His climactic indictment is the source of sin. And then Mike's going to finish it up here in two weeks. He's going to talk about the defense. Defense is pretty short. You know, if, if they had like a, you know, the prosecution rest, now the defense comes up, the well, defense stands up and says, every mouth is shut and sits down. That's the defense. Pretty, uh, <laughs> cause there, when you're talking with God, there is no defense. He's the, you know, he created you, so there's no defense. And the verdict is, all the world is accountable to God. Okay, so now let's look at the, go back and we'll, this is a picture from Brother Hal back from 2006. So, the, you know, this, this is a verse that talks about all mankind are under sin. And boy, I think, you know, this really helps where you delineate when you look at sin singular in Scripture. What is it talking about? And I think it's talking about our sin nature. So with that in view, it's its dominion and reign, which we'll see in Romans 5.21. It's power in 5.12. And it's penalty and condemnation in 5.18. And also we'll see it in, in 8.3. So we have um, all man is under its dominion and reign, its power, and its penalty and condemnation. So let's briefly review that. Uh, so the, the, the end, of, end of verse 9 says, Both Jew and Greek are all under sin, under its dominion and reign. Just a couple points there. The sin nature in the unbeliever reigns in his present spiritual death. He's separated from God. The sin nature reigns. In that situation, and the verse that comes from is Romans 5:17. For if by the transgressions of one, 
That's Adam. Death reigned through one. So that's that, comes that nugget. And then we get down to its power. Every person is born with an Adamic sin nature. And we see that in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin or the sin nature entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then the third point, under its penalty and condemnation, you know, God has condemned the sin nature and since, since it, and this is the point, our brother uh, Mike brings that all the time, it's just wonder, not wonderful, it's, uh, it's condemning, is that why is man in trouble? Because he's, his sin nature is condemned and he is in union with that sin nature, so he is condemned with that. And we see that in um, Romans 8.3, the last part. He condemned the sin in the flesh. And, and this, uh, this thing was from our brother Hal. The, the overall outline of it. And I filled the verses in just to kind of give us a, a backup for that. So now let's look at the indictments. So we're going to go through 14 indictments. I'm going to cover last week's quickly, so I won't... I won't uh, let me just move this here. Keep... <laughs> okay. Okay, so we're going to look at verses 10 and uh, 11 here. So the first one is... There is none righteous, not even one. Well, let me just stop for a second here. I just, uh, I wanted to share, uh, you know, if, are you guys uh, fans of, um, of the Andy Griffith show? It's, it's on reruns forever. Now you can watch it probably every day of the week. Maybe every hour of the day. I don't know. But anyway, he has a sidekick, Barney. You know, Barney's always getting himself into trouble. Well, there's a scene, there are several scenes where they're in church. So there's one scene where, Barney's coming out of church. Andy's talking to the pastor after the service. And, and um, Barney walks up to the pastor. And he's been asleep in church. So he missed the message. So he wants to be part of the conversation with the pastor. So he says, as he walks up, he says, You know, pastor, you can't say too much about sin. And it just kind of stuck with me. I said, well, that's what this message is about. You can't say too much about sin. And we're going to see that. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So the first point here, first indictment, there is none righteous, not even one. So we see that. And actually all these charges, you know, Paul does a fabulous job here. All these charges don't come from Paul's original writing, so to speak. He references a verse in the Old Testament. Every single one of these indictments comes from the Old Testament. It either comes from the Psalms, Isaiah, and so on. It's just amazing. So here's one of the, one of the things. So, so this is going to, this, I'm going to kind of contrast here. The Lord, Lord is righteous, but man is not righteous outside of God. So for the, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, the upright will behold his face, and man on the other hand, for all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one has a right standing with God, not even one. There's not one single person that has a right standing with God. That's why we needed a Savior. Okay, the second point. There is none who understands God. You know, I think if, there's, if there had to be one of these, there's six in this list, that one that really stands out in my mind, they don't really understand God. Man doesn't understand God because they have not, they have not, as they don't understand Him, they don't, they don't find out, well, where can I find out about God? You can find out about God in His Word, but many people will never, never open the Word. In fact, um, we have a relative that um, that says, well, I, she's a she's a practicing um, attender of church. She says, I, I never read the Bible. 
I just don't read it. I take direction from someone else. And, and Mike can... Uh, it's kind of in the area of, of Mike's uh, past life, if you will. I don't, I don't open the Bible. I just listen to what they say or what they tell me to do, which is sad. Anyway, no one understands God. Man is continually not understanding God. And then from Romans we see that, and because this verse talks about his wrath, but the key part is because he doesn't understand uh, God, he, what comes out about God, he suppresses. He doesn't want to hear it. He suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. He suppresses the truth that we have an incredible creation. He makes up stories about, well, this, is, this just evolved. And, and, you know, he goes down that path of evolution, which is sad. There is none who seeks, seeks for God. No one, really, no one diligently seeks for God. And you can see that. We can see it all across our, our whole world and our whole society. So what God had, so here's the, here's the good news. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God had to intervene. Man didn't reach up to God. God reached down to man through his Son. Okay, so that's three there. Then we have three more in 12. All have turned aside from God. The idea is to turn aside, to de- deviate from the right path. Uh, and the beautiful passage here we all know. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And then the the fifth one. Together they have all become useless or rotten. And what's interesting, this word useless, according to Newell, I've been going through, actually I really appreciate Mike getting us clued into Newell on this. He just has some great things. This word from the Greek came from from rotten fruit, whatever is utterly, irrevocably bad and yucky. Rotten fruit can be pretty bad. And then Psalm um, 53.3 says, And they have altogether become filthy and corrupt. The sixth point, There is none who does good, not even one. And this is kind of an interesting point. I I learned a little bit, and I had not realized the richness of, uh, of this word for good. It really has the idea of kindness of heart. And actually it's translated kindness. When you see the fruit of the Spirit, that is this word here. It's translated good here, but it's a word for kindness, kindness of heart. And God is kindness in His very being. Uh, his grace, He does His grace and kindness. It talks about in, in many verses. Okay, so that's the six, uh, six things that talk about the character of man, the character of man's sin. So today's verses, they're kind of grouped, and I appreciate Macaulay kind of helped me here, kind of grouped in like three sections. The, the first, 13 and 14, talk about four aspects of our mouth, our throat, our tongue, our lips. Um, and then the, the next group, 15 through 70, talk about kind of man's conduct, if you will, his feet. His feet are swift to do something. There's a path that is the wrong path. Uh, and then, and then it kind of sums up the last indictment is there's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the bottom line. When it all, all said and done, man does not fear God. And it, isn't that, don't we see that just so much? Man does not fear the one who made him. It's, it's just incredible. They, they go off and they create their own gods in their own image. Okay, so let's go through this. Um, so actually, I'm just going to just backtrack for a second. So to put it in, a, I have four points here. So this whole indictment scheme, the first section, 
like we just covered in 10 through 12, talks about the scope of man's sin. This is his sinful character. We just covered those. Now we're next going to talk about, as, I, as the verses say, his sinful speech, his throat, his tongue, his lips, his mouth. Then we're going to see um, his conduct by the, the path he takes and where his feet go. And then lastly, the result of his sinfulness, no fear of God in man. So that's where we're headed. So let's get into verse 13 here. So I found, this, you know, I can find all kinds of little cartoon things. So I can, here's my mouth here. So I actually, some have said, so Bob will appreciate this. This is the divine doctor. The divine doctor looks at man's mouth and he says, yuck. <laughs> he, has, he, has a, he has a tongue problem. He has a throat problem. He has a lip problem and a mouth problem. He's going to go through all these. He's going to examine what comes out of man's uh, mouth. He starts off, the throat is an open grave. So literally in the interlinear it says, the throat of them is a grave having been opened. This is very picturesque and very, very um, disgusting, if you will. So this is an, his mouth is an open grave, or something that I think King James open sepulcher. It's like you've opened up a grave. And I guess I haven't, I've never done this, I'm thankful I haven't had to, but opening up a grave if it's a fresh grave, it's not going to be very pleasant, right? Remember, um, the Martha, was it Martha or Mary? Who came to him first? Martha, maybe. She said, Lord, if you, he, it's going to stink. If we go and get Lazarus, it's, it's going to stink. So graves can be very, stink, very disgusting. So he's making his point here. Their throat is a grave standing open, if you will. It's a person, again, as Jim pointed out, these are people outside of Christ, not knowing Christ, having been open, perfect, passive, participle. So it says it's a completed action here, past completed action with abiding results. So the picture here from Weiss, the grave having been open with the result is standing open. So that's, that's a, this picture of man's throat. And it's permanently opened. So Robertson uh, says, the mouth, the words, is like the odor of a newly opened grave. And then from the Psalms, there is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. So pretty disgusting uh, view there. Okay, let's go on. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. Or literally, in the interlinear, it says... They were working deceit with the tongues of them. So the idea of working deceit is to lure. It's like a bait. We talked in Sunday school about, uh, you know, the lure of the temptation process. Well, <clears throat> this isn't the same word, but it's the same idea. To lure by bait. And this is a common kind of usual in perfect tense, which is the idea of continuous action in past time. And it's a fact. Uh, so Newell says it denotes the habitual practice of the human race. Uh, their con- they can't, man outside of Christ with sin nature can't help but de- be deceiving. He's deceiving by his very, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what, he, that's what man is about outside of Christ. Vincent says, uh, the Hebrews, I guess speaking about the Hebrew people or the Hebrews, they smooth their tongues. Kind of smooth their tongue. How about a smooth talker, right? You, get, you kind of get kind of. Have you ever been to some place and it's a it's a salesman? He's, he's so smooth, you kind of just say, "I want to get away from this guy." I don't know. I just I don't. It makes you feel creepy because you think he's doing something 
underhandedly. He's going to pull out something here and, you know, have me sign, a, you know, an agreement for life or whatever. So anyway, that's kind of the idea. They use their tongue to deceive, to mislead, to deal treacherously. Okay, so the third one. The poison of the asp. Well, this is very picturesque. This is a picture of, the, of a snake. And apparently all snakes have venom in sacks. In their, that's, that's how they do their thing. That's how they kill things. They have this poisonous stuff in there, you know. And that's how they do their business. And James, is, we're going to see in James coming up here in, in our Sunday school class. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So Newell says he's convinced this is the, the Egyptian cobra. I thought it was pretty interesting. how Some, some people commenting and say, well, it's snakes and they do this and that. Well, Newell says, it's the Egyptian cobra. I said, okay, brother, that's fine. Okay, it's the Egyptian cobra. I'll go with that. Deadly serpent contains poison in bags under their lips. And then Psalm 100, 140. They sharpen their tongues as serpents. The poison of a viper is under their lips. Selah. So all these, all these pictures that Paul brings out, all these charges against mankind, boy, are very picturesque. He doesn't hold, hold back anything. And if you think about it, you can go through almost and you identify so much that we see in our world. And then there's one more in this, this vein. The mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And this is an interesting one. Let me just give you the, the little story here. J. Vernon McGee, which I listen to and, and read uh, quite a bit, uh, he had, someone challenged him about this verse. They said, uh, Pastor McGee, the mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I don't believe that. So J. Vernon McGee said, when he was preaching in Los Angeles, he said, well, okay, let's go out. We'll go out to the street here in front of the church, and I want you to sock the first guy we see in the, in the jaw and see what comes out of his mouth. <laughs> okay. I don't think they actually did that, but it was an interesting challenge, an interesting approach. And if you think about it, what comes out many times, and many times even as believers, what comes out, or we go back to our old nature, it shows where we come from. We have a fallen nature, and we still have it with us, and we still hang out there sometimes. So this is Paul, this is a fourth indictment about the mouth. The mouth is full of cursing. It's, it's full, it's, it's heavy laden, like a ship being burdened down. Present tense, continuous action of cursing. To curse, uh, actually it's the idea of cursing is not so much the foul language necessarily, it's actually wishing evil against someone else. That's kind of, that's in view here. With bitterness, uh, reproachable language. So Psalm 10 says, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. And then Newell says, <laughs> How men do curse others. Bitterness is ever ready. And it just seems like that's the case. It, I had a case where I was, when I was a teenager, I uh, had a summer job uh, for, the, for the school system. We went around in trucks and we would take desks from one school to another school. And I was kind of a sheltered boy. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't. When I go out with these guys, I mean, from the minute we got in that truck until the end of the day, there was no other, every three words were some some you know, cursing, some bitterness, just against everybody else in the world. It just went on. I get home, wow, I'm glad I got through with that day. That's one day, I don't know, I just, I couldn't, it was hard to take. I, you know, and, and, I, and we see that sometimes. We see it, you know, men just 
you know, their, their inward nature comes out loud and, strong, loud and clear. Okay, so now we go on to the feet. <clears throat> their feet are swift to shed blood. And this is a man not knowing Christ. So the idea of feet here is the idea of speaking about man's conduct, how he conducts himself, his feet kind of feet to, uh, speak to that. And swift is the idea of nimble, sharpness, keenness, eagerness. And if you th- men many times are eager, uh, eager because they have a fallen, they're eager to do to do bad things, to shed blood. In this case, it says swift. Uh, it's adjective that describes the shedding of blood. They want to do it swiftly, um, and they they want to you know blood will be shed, the death of something, the shedding of blood. And so Psalm, uh, Psalm Isaiah says, their feet run to evil. And they hasten to shed innocent blood. And then, and then the B part of that says, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Okay. Then we go on to paths. Uh, the metaphor here kind of changes to paths. Paths are ways from feet. So we see the conduct described as a, as a path. Um, and it talks about destruction. The destruction and misery are in their paths. The ruin and shattering of things, misery, hardship, suffering, distress. Romans and, and this is Paul. You know, he he saw the wretchedness of who he was. He saw the wretchedness of the sin nature. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then Isaiah, devastation and destruction are in their highways. And then Newell comments uh, about. Um, <clears throat> As it talks about uh, Genesis 6:11, as it was in the days of Noah, our Lord says, "So shall it be the coming of the Son of Man." In those days of Noah, the earth was full of violence. Boy, the more we see our society today, the more we see violence, you know, on every hand. And the path of peace they have not known. <clears throat> this is a fact about the ones not knowing, uh, not knowing Christ. They're not knowing the path or the way of peace. Isaiah says, they do not know the way of peace. There's no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them or goes with them uh, does not know peace. And peace is something that, that only God, you know, there's several ways to look at peace. We have the peace of God and the peace from God. So, uh, Newell says here, the unregenerate man does not know, follow, or really desire to know the way of wisdom, and those paths are peace. So, knowing the wisdom of God is a way we, we come to know peace. And here's a very familiar verse. And so, it, not, this is not the most familiar verse, but <clears throat> here, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom is speaking here in this song, in this proverb. Here, wisdom's ways are, are pleasant ways. And all her paths are peace. Okay, so the climax of this is, and there is no God before their eyes. So this, in the present tense, continue, continuous action. They continually have no fear of God in their lives. Um, and from Psalm 36, transgressions speak to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. And then Psalm 36, verse 2 says, He flatters and deceives himself. You know, th- th- think how much man deceives himself about God. 
and and we've learned we've learned from our little trek here in Romans up through verse you know 20 here pretty soon we've learned that man has understanding of who God is but he uh, he deceives himself right he looks at creation and he says there's no God there he, his conscience tells him there's a God he says no God there so man is deceiving himself um, and the, the other gentleman says um, the seat of reverence is in their eyes I had not actually thought of the seat of reverence in their eyes he's kind of contrasting that with the fact that there's no God before their eyes and then Proverbs 1 said, uh, Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so to kind of sum things up here, I took this from, this comes from Newell, and he kind of presents this um, as an um, admonition to, um, to tell others, tell others about, about the Lord, if you will. He doesn't say that precisely, but that's kind of what he's saying. He says, so we'll see here. He says, This great passage, speaking of 9 through 18, needs to be pondered, prayed over, and thoroughly believed. Preach continually in these last days when God consciousness is dying out. And Newell lived, I, I said, well, he, he's saying that right there. And it applies to now too. God's consciousness is dying out. He lived from the 1800s, 18. 50s or 60s as, as his birth and he, he lived up until ni- 1950s he died in, around, in 1950s something so he had to you know that's pretty contemporary but God consciousness is dying out he says it's no kindness but a terrible wrong to hide from a criminal the sentence that must surely overtake him unless pardoned his second point for a physician to conceal from a patient a cancer that will destroy him unless quickly removed is no kindness. For the acquaintance with the hidden pitfalls of a path that he beholds someone taking and not to warn him of his danger is no kindness. It just kind of struck me that his kind of after reading this and taking in those indictments that Paul brings to us about mankind and where he's at, we do people know kindness by not telling them about them about a savior that can save him that can and that, and that's our that's our desire our desire at holly hills our desire individually to have men and women come to know the savior and so so next week we're going to talk about uh, i get a chance to do that which is always always neat we're going to talk about um you know a phrase i kind of came across i was I, is, you look through and say well what can i uh, what can I talk about in this wonderful time? The, the resurrection of our Savior. And there's a phrase that kind of shows up in Acts. Whenever the apostles preached, uh, they used they use this phrase. They present their message about Christ. You know, Peter did it when he preached, and then Paul did it too. They would kind of come up. They would talk about, well, uh, God did. The God of our fathers did this and that. And they would, but they come down to the fact. But God raised him from the dead. So that's going to be my title. But God raised him from the dead. God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. It was something that God planned in the eternal covenant. And it's in the Gospels. It's in the message of Peter and Paul that they preached. So come next week and, and learn about that. Okay, let's close. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the wonderful message we have in our Savior. Lord, we thank you for the, the somber news about um, your judgment of mankind and we thank you that you provided it for us for our instructions and that 
people would learn from it and turn to the Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen.